G'day, welcome to Just In Case Law. I'm Tanya Chapman and today we are going to take a step in the wild and wonderful world of intestacy. I love intestacy because it just crops up interesting family dynamics that are sometimes completely unexpected. And this case is a perfect example. This is the case of in the estate of the late Anthony Maris, 2014, New South Wales Supreme Court 915. Let's dive straight in. Anthony Maris died on the 14th of September 2011. He died without having ever done a will, which meant he died intestate, and his estate would be distributed according to the rules of intestacy. Anthony had had two serious long-term relationships in his lifetime. The first was with Maria Maris, whom he was married to from 1958 to 1980, 22 years. They had five children together. The second serious long-term relationship was from 1982 to 2008, 26 years, with Effie Maris. There were no children of this second marriage. The rules of intestacy that apply to this situation is where you have a spouse, but you also have children from a previous relationship, in which case the laws of intestacy dictate how your estate is to be distributed, which is the current spouse gets the personal effects of the deceased, a statutory legacy which at the time of the case was around $450,000, and half the remainder of the estate. The other half remainder is shared equally between the deceased children. Three of Anthony's five children applied to the Supreme Court seeking provision from Anthony's estate. They are George, Helen and Stephen. Anthony's first wife, Maria, also made a claim on the estate. She claimed that she and Anthony were in a relationship again at the time of his death, that she was in fact his de facto, and she applied for the estate to be distributed to herself and the second wife, Effie. Effie defended her right as surviving spouse to receive the personal effects, the legacy of $450,000 and half the remainder. So that makes five people with their hands out seeking their fair share of the estate. Which raises the question, what is the estate? When Anthony Maris died, he owned a farm in York Lee, New South Wales, worth about $450,000. He had a term deposit in the bank worth $1.1 He had $18,000 in another bank account. He had a motor vehicle worth $15,000. Jewelry, which was held by Effie, worth about $40,000, and a bank account in Greece, worth $480,000. All up, the estate is worth about $1.5 million, or $2 million if you count the Greece bank account. Using the intestacy provisions, this would leave Effie the legacy of $450,000, plus half the remainder, bringing her share to about $710,000. The other half share of the remainder of the estate, $525,000, is to be divided equally among the five children, 
giving them just about $105,000 each. Just a side note, those are the calculations as published in the judgment, and the statutory legacy is an amount that is increased by CPI yearly, so the amount is more than $450,000 currently. And that is how the estate would be divided under the rules of intestacy, with Effie, the surviving spouse, getting $710,000 and the five children getting about $100,000 each. But if there is more than one spouse, which there can be as de facto's count as spouses, then the whole estate is shared amongst the spouses. Maria was claiming to be a de facto spouse and therefore entitled to a share of the estate. Let's step back a little and get to know a bit more about Anthony. Anthony was born in Greece in 1936 and emigrated to Australia. During his life, he operated a number of tyre retread businesses. He married Maria in 1958, and they had five children together. But their relationship broke down before the birth of their fifth child, Stephen. Seven months before Stephen was born, Anthony and Maria separated. They divorced, and Maria kept the family home, while Anthony kept his tyre business. There was an assertion that it was Anthony's relationship with his new girlfriend Effie that ended the marriage. Anthony and Effie married about two years later and operated various tyre retread businesses together. Early in their relationship, they moved back to Greece and lived there for about six years. They built a house there which is referred to as Maris House and which is registered in Effie's name. They also purchased blocks of land there in Anthony's name. They moved around a bit and then in 2003 moved to the Yorkley Farm in New South Wales. It sounds like quite a substantial farm with a homestead, swimming pool, kennels and sheds. Anthony and Effie separated in 2008. Effie left the farm but Anthony continued to live there for a couple of more years before returning to Greece in 2011. In the breakdown of Anthony and Effie's relationship, there were family law proceedings in which it was decided that Effie would get the Maris house in Greece and the blocks of land in Greece, and Anthony would get the farm in New South Wales. Of the bank accounts, Anthony would get $530,000 and Effie got $350,000. It was interesting that in these family law proceedings, Anthony swore an affidavit in which he stated, I have five adult children from a previous marriage. I also have 11 grandchildren whom I love dearly. I am especially close to my daughter Helen and Betty and my son George. Helen and George live in Sydney and my daughter Betty currently lives in Greece. I would like to make sure that I have the capacity and ability to provide for each of my children and grandchildren during my life and afterwards. End quote. But Anthony didn't always have the greatest relationship with his children. He was prone to making promises and not following them. He also appeared to have been rather difficult to get on with, and was once described as someone who hated pretty well everybody. Anthony became estranged from his daughter Ula when she was a young woman, and he threw her out of the house. 
there seems to have been no communication between the two for over 30 years. The relationship between Anthony and his first wife Maria broke down before Stephen was even born. Although Anthony had some contact with Stephen during his early years, it was not until Stephen was 17 that they formed a relationship. This relationship ceased, however, in 2005, when Stephen's daughter was born. Stephen decided to name his daughter after his mother-in-law, rather than his mother as in Greek tradition. And while Anthony had been divorced from Maria for over 20 years by this time, Anthony was still angry that Stephen had not followed Greek tradition. Anthony's relationship with his other children, Helen and George, was strained after his marriage to Effie, although they continued to have a relationship nonetheless. The closeness of his relationships with his children waxed and waned over the years. However, in the year before his death, it was claimed that his relationship with George, Betty and Helen was especially close. Anthony left for Greece in July 2011. Before he did, he transferred $480,000 into a bank account in Greece, in joint names with his daughter Betty. He also asked his daughter Helen to manage his $1 million term deposit in Australia. Anthony died suddenly on the 14th of September 2011 while still in Greece. After Anthony's death, Betty transferred the $480,000 into a bank account in her and her husband's name. Helen used about $17,000 from Anthony's bank accounts to pay for travel to Greece for the funeral. She also paid her husband's business $55,000, but claimed that her father had signed the cheque before he left Australia. Maria's relationship with her children was close and supportive. Well, it was, up until she made a claim to be Anthony's de facto spouse, seeking a share of the estate. Since her application to the court, her relationship with Ulla, George and Stephen had soured, which is not surprising because under the rules of intestacy, where there are multiple spouses, the estate is divided equally between them, and if Maria was successful in her claim, then that would cut the children out entirely. Maria claimed that she and Anthony had restarted their relationship in late 2008, a couple of months after he separated from Effie. She said that the relationship continued until Anthony's death in September 2011. Whether her claim was believed is crucial for the appropriate distribution of the estate. That is the convoluted, soap opera-esque family dynamic. Let's have a look at the evidence, and let's start where we all want to, with Maria's evidence. The story, according to Maria, was that from the time of their separation in 1979 until 2008, she had no direct contact with Anthony. In August or September 2008, she was told that Effie had left Anthony and that Anthony was unwell. It was her daughter Helen who told her of this, and it was also Helen that asked Maria to go and cook for Anthony and look after him. Maria told Helen she could only do so if Anthony asked her directly. 
In October, she received a phone call from Anthony, in which she claimed he asked whether she could see herself living with him again, and that he needed someone to talk to, someone to make dinner and to keep the house clean. She travelled to see him in late November 2008. She claimed that this first meeting was an emotional occasion, that they both cried. That in the weeks that followed, Anthony expressed regret about the way their marriage had ended, and said that he should never have left her, and wished that he could do things differently. She stayed with Anthony for about three weeks, and visited him again from New Year's Eve for a couple of days. She then visited him at the farm on several occasions in the following months. Maria claimed that during these visits, Anthony suggested that they should spend their final years together, travelling to and from Greece. That he had suggested that they could live six months of the year in Greece and six months in Australia. In April, Maria listed her house for sale. She claimed that Anthony told her to sell the house and that they could buy a house together in Queensland. After the sale of Maria's house, she lived with her daughter Helen. She then claimed that she lived at the farm with Anthony from September to December, at which point she had to return to Sydney for a knee operation. On returning to the farm in February 2010, Maria said that Anthony told her that he was waiting on the property settlement with Effie. He also suggested that she buy an apartment in Sydney that they could live in together. She returned to Sydney and purchased a property in Belmore. In the evidence, she stated that over the next year she would visit the farm for about four to six weeks at a time. In May 2011, Maria travelled to Greece for approximately five weeks. She claimed that during this time she would have telephone conversations with Anthony. In July, Anthony went to Sydney and stayed with Helen for a couple of days before himself departing to Greece. When challenged about why Anthony would not stay with her in Sydney, Maria said that he called when he reached Helen's place and said that he was too tired to drive any further. She said that she visited him at Helen's house the next day and he told her that he was going to look for property for them in Greece. In what was to be a very romantic moment, Maria said that Anthony asked her to promise him that she would always be with him until they died, and she said, Yes, of course I will be with you. Shortly after Anthony arrived in Greece, Maria said that Anthony called her to say that he had arrived safely. She said this was the last time they ever spoke. That was Maria's account of events from 2008 to 2011 that she presented as proof that she was in a de facto relationship with her ex-husband Anthony. Can you spot any holes or issues with this account? I mean, yes, I summarised it, but what about the fact that there was no mention of Anthony ever visiting Maria in Sydney? Also, the plans seem a bit washy. Like, first he's telling her to sell her house in Sydney and they're going to buy a property together in Queensland and then he's telling her to buy an apartment in Sydney that they'll live in together. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. There is also the question of exactly how much time she spent at the farm and how often she visited. It was not clear from her evidence. 
Maria's bank account statements were an incredibly useful piece of evidence because they showed evidence of the bank card being used in Sydney at times when she said she was at the farm. She tried to say that someone else was using her card in Sydney, but the bank records showed frequent use and there were frequent withdrawals at the Riverwood Legion and Community Club. Some days there would be multiple withdrawals. Maria was asked about this in cross-examination. She said, quote, I was not going there to gamble. I was just going there to kill the time for from loneliness. But when I wanted to assist my daughter, my younger daughter, with money, and I didn't want anybody else to know I was taking money, and I was giving it to her because she went and she had, she went bankrupt. End quote. Question. So you agree then that those entries showing those withdrawals were withdrawals made by you? Maria, no. Question. Did not you just tell the court that you were going there because you were lonely and you were taking money to help your daughter? Maria, yeah, yes, yes. The court was satisfied that Maria was in the habit of going to the Riverwood Legion and Community Club and that she made the withdrawals in question. So once again looking at those times when Maria said she was at the farm, the court was able to reduce that and clarify when she was actually at Sydney at the club. That first period when Maria said she was at the farm from April to July 2009, the court adjusted to mid-May to mid-July 2009. The period when she said she was at the farm from September to December, she was actually living with Helen in Sydney. And there were no bank transactions on the account out of the Sydney area during this period. During the period July 2009 to May 2011, when Maria claimed that she visited the farm numerous times for about four to six weeks at a time, the bank records demonstrated that her bank card was being used in Sydney and nowhere else. Her phone record showed that she was making phone calls from Sydney at this time. This evidence led the court to conclude that Maria did not make any visits to the farm after July 2009. The bank records in evidence also brought one concerning aspect to light, and that was that when Maria sold her property in September 2009, she received over $400,000 in proceeds from the sale. By July 2010, less than a year later, this had been reduced to $27. Maria denied that she used the funds to gamble at clubs, she also denied that she was playing poker machines, but her children gave different evidence. Ulla gave evidence that she had confronted her mother and Maria admitted to having a gambling problem. Stephen gave evidence that even as a young boy, Maria would go to the local club and would leave him in the foyer while she went into the gaming room. The children gave further evidence that refuted Maria's claim to be in a relationship with Anthony including that over the years from 2009 to 2011, she did not mention Anthony at any of the family dinners or events. It would be odd if she had recommenced a relationship with her ex-husband, the father of her children, and didn't tell them. 
especially when they're supposedly planning to live together and travel together. As to Maria's claim that she sold her house in Sydney after discussions with Anthony about buying a property together in Queensland, Ulla gave evidence that Maria sold the property to pay off debts she had with the bank, and that her mother had even said to her that she hoped that Anthony would help with the debts so she would not have to sell. When confronted with the oddness that was going to Sydney the day before his flight to Greece and staying with Helen instead of his supposed de facto partner Maria, Maria's story about him being too tired to travel between Newtown and Belmore did not ring true, given that it was quite a short distance. There is also the fact that Maria travelled to Greece around the same time, but separately from Anthony. And finally, there was the fact that even based on Maria's own account, Anthony only called her once after he had arrived in Greece, and that phone call was made to Helen's house. That would mean that he did not contact his supposed de facto partner for over two months. I'm not going to make you wait for the outcome, and... I'm sure you can guess it already, but the court found that during the period November 2008 to July 2009, Maria did visit the farm for approximately three and a half months. During that time, the court was satisfied that yes, she did cook for Anthony and maybe care for him a little. Quote, When Maria went to the farm to see the deceased, there is no doubt that she was in financial difficulties with the debt she had run up by reason of the gambling at the various clubs. At the time, it was approximately $91,000, but increased to approximately $145,000 by July 2009. I am satisfied that Maria was hoping that the deceased would assist financially at that stage. I am also satisfied that when this did not work out, Maria was forced to sell the Peakhurst property to discharge the debt owed to the bank and to find alternative accommodation at a cheaper price. End quote. The court further accepted Stephen's evidence that on her return to Sydney, Maria told him that she hated Anthony and that she found him to be disgusting and she never wanted to see him again. The court found that Maria was not in a de facto relationship with Anthony and her claim against his estate was dismissed. Now that it's confirmed that Maria was not in a de facto relationship with Anthony, this leaves the only other surviving spouse, Effie. Effie maintained her position that she was entitled to the legacy and half the residue. She did, however, accept that Helen and George were in circumstances of personal hardship and that they may be able to demonstrate that the provision that they would receive from the estate would be inadequate for their needs. In relation to Helen, however, she added that Helen should be required to account for unauthorised distribution she had made to herself from Anthony's bank account. And in relation to Stephen, she said that he had not demonstrated that the provision for him was inadequate. One argument that Effie's lawyer put forward was that if the court should decide to make further provision for the children, that they should not touch the statutory legacy, the $450,000. 
The lawyer tried to argue that the statutory legacy was the bare minimum that the surviving spouse should receive. If the children were to receive anything, it should be from Ethie's half share of the remainder. The judge rejected this and did not agree that the statutory legacy was the bare minimum that a surviving spouse was entitled to. The court then looked at the property settlement that had been made between Effie and Anthony in 2010, only a year before his death. In case you forgot, there had been a property settlement. The parties had been separated, but they had not filed for divorce as yet. And this is why Effie was still his spouse at the time of Anthony's death. Effie had received assets as part of the family court orders, and those assets were intended to last the rest of her life. It was questioned why the parties had not proceeded to dissolve the marriage by way of divorce. Effie gave some evidence that Anthony was withholding consent to divorce, but this does not explain why she did not make the application. In previous Supreme Court cases, there had been reference to the policy that family court property orders are intended to promote finality of any property dispute between the parties. Where such orders have been made, orders for further provision for a spouse or former spouse as part of a family provision claim such as this one should be exceptional, as in not common at all. The family court property orders should be seen as terminating any normal claim a former spouse has on the estate. To quote Justice Kirby, quote, Confronted by the news that he or she had been excluded from the will of the former spouse, the response would, in the overwhelming majority of cases, be, Our marriage was dissolved. We settled our financial affairs. We can each start a new life. That was the whole point of the family court proceedings. End quote. While the parties had not divorced, there had been a separation and a division of the matrimonial property. Effie's solicitor argued that even though there had been family court orders, that Effie was still entitled to further provision out of her late husband's estate. The court looked into Effie's financial position in detail, but I'm going to skim over it and just jump to the outcome, where the court determined that her financial position was quite comfortable and it would be appropriate to interfere with her statutory entitlements to the extent necessary to make further provision for George, Stephen and Helen. You thought we were done with Maria, but we actually have to return to her again. Because not only did Maria make a claim as a de facto partner, she also made a claim for further provision from the estate generally. When considering the claims of ex-spouses, the court can take into consideration the testator's culpability in relation to, to the grounds for divorce. So were they responsible for the divorce or the breakdown of the relationship? the fact that the applicant was the mother of the testator's children and had the upbringing of the children, the length of time from the date of separation to the testator's death, in this case about 28 years, and the course which their lives had followed since separation. All of those factors are relevant when determining if 
and how much provision to make for an ex-spouse. Although Maria claimed that the relationship broke down because Anthony started a relationship with Effie, there was evidence that their relationship did not start until he had separated from Maria. Maria was able to show that she was in need, a definite financial need. She had no assets, no future earning capacity, no financial resources. She was receiving the pension and she was 77 years old. Maria claimed that Anthony did not pay child support for Stephen, the child she had after they had separated. Effie challenged this and said that Anthony did pay child support and that Effie herself had sometimes arranged for him to do so, that they had made cash payments to the children ranging between $10,000 to $50,000 at various times and for various reasons. When deciding who was telling the truth about child support, Maria or Effie, this is where Maria's previous lies have come back to bite her on the butt. Quote, Maria made a claim that she was in a de facto relationship with the deceased during the period late 2008 until his death, that she must have known was not accurate. To use a neutral term, I have taken the propounding of this inaccurate claim into account in deciding between the competing unchallenged evidence of Maria and Effie in respect of the child support payments for Stephen. I prefer Effie's evidence. I am satisfied that there were payments made and financial support given as described by Effie. End quote. Basically, because Maria had been caught in a lie before, in this instance, her evidence has less credibility. The court recognised that there had been no contact for almost 30 years between Maria and Anthony. It also found that in the period from 2008 to 2009, Maria had provided care and support after Effie left, but that she was probably motivated to obtain financial assistance from him. The court said yes, she did cook for him during that time, but, quote, I regard her visits to the farm as opportunistic, from both Maria's and the deceased point of view. Maria was taking the opportunity to see if the deceased would assist her financially to rid herself of the debt she had incurred from her gambling activities. The deceased was willing to have Maria stay at the farm for those periods on the basis that she cooked for him. However, their tolerance of each other did not last past July 2009. End quote. As with Effie, the court looked at the fact that when Maria and Anthony separated, they too had had a division of their assets by order of the family court, and that if Maria hadn't gambled it all away, she would have been able to purchase a home for herself. This property settlement finalised their dealings with each other such that they did not have contact with one another for 30 years. In this, the court was satisfied that Anthony had no further obligation to provide for Maria on his death. Moving on now to the claims of the three children. Just a reminder, Anthony had five children who were to share the residue of the estate, which was about $100,000 each, and three of the children made applications for further provision from the estate. 
Let's start with Helen's claim. Helen was 49 years old by the time of the trial. She had three children, a 17-year-old son and 13-year-old twins. After her parents separated, she was estranged from her father for about two years before Anthony re-established contact. It was Anthony who encouraged her to obtain qualifications as a beautician and provided her with financial support so that she could leave her employment to undertake training. He also paid for her tuition and living expenses and purchased a car for her. The relationship between Helen and her mother Maria became strained and Anthony provided her with further support. Later on, Helen moved in with Anthony and Effie. And even when she was an adult and moved out of home, she would spend holidays with her father and visited him. They would call each other and have what you would call a close relationship. In about May 2003, Anthony told his daughter that Effie had left him. Helen flew out to see him and comforted him. A short time later, Anthony and Effie re- reconciled. After that, Effie made it clear that she did not want Helen to visit the farm anymore. I'm, I am imagining that situation where you comfort your friend by telling them how much better off they are now that the relationship is over. You agree with them that their ex really was a terrible person and not worth their time. Only for that person to get back together with their ex and now you're the bad person because you've said all these bad things. That could just be my imagination at work, but regardless, Effie did prevent contact between Helen and her father after that. Helen still spoke with her father on the phone. Uh, They had regular contact and would still holiday together, but visits to the farm stopped. In 2005, things were not going well for Helen. She was declared bankrupt and her relationship with her spouse broke down. It would appear that there was little contact between Helen and her father between 2005 to 2008. But in 2008, Anthony contacted Helen, saying that Effie had left him and this time it was permanent. He asked Helen to come to the farm. Helen and her family went to the farm where she cooked, cleaned the house and took care of him and took her father to the doctor. But then Helen had to return to Sydney because the children had to return to school. Helen arranged for her husband to spend time, about three months at the farm with her father, in the later part of 2008. It was Helen's husband who was looking after Anthony and the farm. And Helen and the children would visit the farm on the weekends when it was possible. Helen's financial position at the time of the hearing was described as very poor. She had assets of about $5,000 and liabilities of about $20,000. She was currently receiving a carer's pension and acting as carer for Maria. The children were living with Helen's husband, Spiro. The explanation for this was that he had refused to pay any child support and the children went to live with him. In assessing Helen's claim, the court determined that Helen's conduct demonstrated a loving and close relationship with her father. She had also demonstrated that she had financial need, as well as the care of the young children. The court was satisfied that the provision made for Helen was not adequate for her proper maintenance and advancement in life. 
Moving straight on to George's claim, George was aged 52 years at the time of the trial. He was residing in a house owned by his sister with his wife and three children. George worked in the tyre and wheel business for most of his life. In 1983, George and his father went into business together, a business known as Tip Top Tyres. They only worked together for one year before Anthony wanted to make Effie a partner of the business. This caused a dispute between George and his father and they became estranged and were estranged for over a decade until 2008. After Anthony and Effie separated in 2008 and at Helen's instigation, George visited the farm on several occasions. But then tempers flared again and his relationship between his father became strained again. George was also able to show that he had financial need. He did not own any real estate and was unable to purchase a house for himself and his children. The court was satisfied that the provision for George was not adequate for his proper maintenance and advancement in life. And finally, Stephen's claim. Stephen was the child born after Anthony and Maria had separated. Stephen saw very little of his father because Maria would not allow Anthony to visit the house and was not approving Stephen visiting his father. Stephen's memory is that he met Anthony for the first time when he was about five, when Helen took him to see him. He claimed that his father had told him that he wanted to get to know him, but Maria would not let him. Stephen lost contact with his father between the ages of 14 and 19 years old. When Stephen was a young adult, he was able to form a relationship with his father, and they visited often, and the relationship appears to have been a relatively happy one for a period, for about four to five years. But then in 2005, they had a falling out. Stephen's daughter Helena was born. Anthony was not happy with Helena's name, because it did not follow Greek tradition of being named after the paternal grandmother. Anthony told his son not to call him again. Now Stephen said he was gutted by the conversation. It was the last contact Stephen had with his father. The court found that it was not possible to make an accurate assessment of Stephen's present financial position because he had not filed tax returns for a number of years. The financial information that he did provide to the court demonstrated that he was operating at a loss. He was still in a better position than the other children as he owned equity in his own home of about $650,000. His spouse was also receiving a very good salary of about $200,000 a year. Despite the unsatisfactory nature of Stephen's financial evidence, the court determined that they were satisfied that the provision made for him was not adequate for his proper maintenance. Before moving on to the outcome, I will mention the $400,000 that Anthony had transferred into a bank account jointly with his daughter in Greece. There were attempts to have the money brought back into the estate. There was also a lot unknown about the money, such as what name the bank account was in, what was the purpose and where the money was now. The court determined that there was not enough evidence to make a decision in relation to those funds and that the independent administrator of the estate may take further action once more information was available. But for now, no orders were made in relation to those funds. 
the outcome. George, Helen, and Stephen were all successful in their claims that they did not receive adequate provision from the estate, and the court could make orders for further provision. In deciding how much provision to make, the court needs to look at where the money is going to come from, because obviously someone else is going to get less. Betty, one of the other children, under the laws of intestacy, was entitled to a hundred thousand dollars from the estate. However, the court determined that she had lost this right by reason of her conduct in removing the funds from the account in Greece. Ulla, whose role in this case was to represent the estate, was very comfortable financially and had been very generous with her siblings over the years. She indicated to the court that she was content for her entitlement to also be made available for her siblings. The court ordered that George was awarded forty percent of the estate, Helen was awarded thirty-five percent, Stephen was awarded fifteen percent, and this left Effie with ten percent as well as Anthony's personal effects. This is a marked difference from where we started off, with the estate distributed in accordance with the rules of intestacy, and Effie receiving the majority of the estate. By the end of these proceedings, her share of the estate has been whittled down to ten percent. When considering how you feel about that, remember that Effie and Anthony had been separated and had already divided assets between them. So this 10% is on top of the property settlement she had already received on separation. Cost. As we always do, let us finish by looking at how much this matter cost in legal fees. You have to include all of the legal fees of all of the parties of which there were 6. Effie, Maria, Ulla, who was representing the estate, Stephen, Helen, and George. Effie's legal fees were a hundred and sixty thousand. Maria was a hundred and seventy-five thousand. Ulla was a hundred and sixty-eight thousand. Stephen, Helen, and George were each around the hundred and forty mark. So that gives a total of legal costs of about nine hundred and thirty thousand dollars. It was determined that. All of the estate's costs would be paid out of the estate, quite logically. Effie, George's, Helen's, and Stephen's legal costs would be paid out of the estate on an ordinary basis, which means about seventy seventy-five percent of their legal cost. Maria's application for her cost to be paid out of the estate was dismissed. The application had been unsuccessful. Her claim to be Anthony's de facto at the time of his death was refuted and not accepted, and her application for further provision was also denied. Having been entirely unsuccessful, Maria was required to pay her own legal costs. There was actually a big debate over how the costs were to be handled. I will not go into it except to say that it was a further legal battle involving all of the parties. Lessons. This estate raised a lot of issues and legal claims coming from all corners. Oddly enough, it is possible that that is what the deceased intended. Normally, a person will take steps to try to avoid their estate being involved in extensive litigation. 
especially knowing that the cost of litigation will most likely come out of the estate. But that was not the case here. Anthony had a friend called Joseph Contronio, who visited the farm frequently between 2004 to 2008. After Anthony and Effie broke up in 2008, Anthony told his friend Joseph that Effie would be back when she runs out of money. Around the same time, he told Joseph that now his children had been contacting him. He said, quote, Now they are all ringing me up asking what is happening. They are all after my money. But I have a surprise. I won't have a will written out, and they will have to fight over it. I know my kids, and I know they will fight over it. End quote. If Anthony truly did say this, then it appears he was correct. But it did cost 930000 in legal fees to prove him right. That was the case in the estate of the late Anthony Maris. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll join me for my next one. <laughs>